Deuteronomy chapter 8. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his degree, decrees that I am giving you to this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increases, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, and thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you, he brought you water out of hard rock, he gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Here ends the reading. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word, for the ability to have in front of us what you have said to us, your people. 
And Lord, as we come to it, we pray we might understand. You would help us, lead us, teach us, correct us, change us, encourage us, enthuse us for what you are doing in the person of Jesus and have done for us. And keep me from error, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Deuteronomy 7 to 11 is a big section, and uh, that's what we're doing in this series. We're not really looking so in detail. We're going over the top and noticing the things that bring Deuteronomy together and maybe help you to understand, hopefully help you to understand a little more of how to read Deuteronomy and what God is saying. It's Moses' farewell speech. He's about to die. He dies at the end of the book. He's saying it to people who, as we've said, are going into the promised land. They are not the people who received these laws and the covenant at first. And so it's not a it's not a second time. It's a new audience and it's an encouragement to live. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's a definition of what it means to follow, to be devoted, to be obedient, to worship, to exalt the name of the God who made us. What God is doing is as he's bringing them into the promised land, he is recreating what was lost in the Garden of Eden. That's how the land is portrayed and that's why he speaks. It's positive instruction so that when they get into God's place where he cares for them and looks after them, they will know how they should live. Firstly, he says in chapter 7, which we didn't read and we're not really going to read, he says, you're mine. You're not like the other nations. He wants, Moses saying, he wants them to stay true to the God who made them. So it's framed, the central concern is chapter 7, verse 6. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, to be his treasured possession. They are unique. And it's because of that he wants them to remember that because God loved them, he is theirs. And they should exalt his name. Verse 8 It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you up with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's God who has saved you. God loved you. He brought you up. He made it possible for you to be here, acknowledge and worship his holy name. The one who has made this covenant is with them and they are his treasured possession. Secondly, he says in chapter 8, which we read, he says, remember, do not forget. 
Uh, do you remember all those rules that your parents made when you were growing up? Maybe if you're uh, currently in those rules, you'll be recalling those. <laughs> but uh, do you remember? Uh, I uh, had every now and then I have met people who tragically tell me about their past. And sometimes, often, they tell me how they got into a lot of trouble. And the next thing they say is my parents didn't care where I was or what I was doing or what happened to me. There's this interesting, strange phenomena, isn't it, that when you're an adult, you suddenly realise what on earth was going on with your parents. Now, acknowledging that plenty of parents have not done this well and you might have that story, I don't know. But one of the things parents did, I realised, is that parents told me what to do and what not to do, when to be home and do this because they cared, they loved. It's so important. It wasn't about control. It wasn't about getting their own way. It wasn't about ruining everything I'd tried to do because I needed this rule and that rule and plenty of the other, many of the others, as you can imagine. God, he says, cares for you. Remember the Lord your God in chapter 8, verse 2, who led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and feeding you with manna, which neither your ancestors have known to teach you that we humans do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He said in verse 5, Know that in your heart a parent disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Moses is saying God made sure that you understood that he was being gracious to you. It wasn't all beer and skittles. Uh, Verse 4 of chapter 8 says their clothes did not wear out. Now, who has that experience? You have that experience? I have uh, every now and then I get a favourite pair of shoes or a favourite shirt and you wear your shoes and, you know, they're great, they're fantastic, they're so comfortable, I continue to wear them, I love them, they're going well. Oh, what happens to them? They don't look any good. Oh, they're actually starting to fall apart. Oh, They look really scruffy. Oh, I've got to throw them out. Imagine not having that. Moses reminds them that he provided for them. Their feet did not swell, he says. But he did give them manna. Now, we usually translate manna as bread. Do you like bread? I love bread. Sourdough. Banana bread. I I shouldn't like banana bread. Uh, poppy seed knot rolls. Does anyone like poppy seed knot rolls? <laughs> Sesame seeds. Who can, who doesn't love bread? That's how we translate manna. The thing is, manna was not like bread at all. It actually was a bit weird. 
It was unlike anything we know. The only word we've got in the English language that sort of makes it sense of it is bread. So it does sound, you know, it's great, like French loaves and things like that coming in. No. God actually gave them a substance which was unusual. He did it because they were in an unusual place and it was not going to come from anywhere else. Baker's delight had not delivered their leftovers. It was God's. It was unusual. It was unique, but it came every day. Moses says it was given that you might know, and to eat it was actually some sort of test because it wasn't that easy, but it was from God. Here we are in the desert. God has provided it. Manna is a test in the same way, strangely, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden was a test. They're going into the promised land, which resembles that Garden of Eden. You see that in in verse 7 and 9 of chapter 8. Moses is saying the Lord is giving you it all, has given you it all. Now he's giving you his instruction, and this is part of God's restoration, part of God's making sure that what was lost will now be in place in the promised land. Thirdly, he says, remember the past in chapter 9 and to chapter 10, verse 11. The past is a great lesson. There is a saying, isn't there, if you don't know your past, you don't know your Future. Uh, Has anyone done any ancestry? Did you find anything in there, Angela, that said, wow, that's like me or that explains my family or that shows me why that happens? No? Anyone? My son Matthew uh, has an interest in being a mechanical engineer. Now, I'm as mechanical as that uh, as this highlighter is a good football player. I am hopeless. He did not get it from me. But when I look to my father and to his family, there they all are, pulling things apart, putting them back together, making things, turning things on lathes, designing things of machinery, blah, blah, blah. The past can explain the present and the future. Moses says, know the past because it's important to you. Remember it. Verse 5 of chapter 9. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of their land but on account of these nations' wickedness. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
the past should show them that God made promises. It shows them now that just like the past, God is faithful to those promises. If they start to think they're here because they're so fantastic, they're so wonderful, they're so skillful and good-looking, no. No. It's about God's righteousness and the faithful to faithfulness to his promises. You want any more explanation? Well, remember verses 7 of chapter 9 to 21. Remember the golden calf incident. Do you remember that, the golden calf incident? Moses is up the mountain. He's getting these covenant and that goes astray. Down there, they've made the golden calf. Verse 9, 12, sorry, chapter 9, verse 12b They've turned away quickly from what I commanded them and have made an idol for themselves. He also talks about Kadesh in verses 23 to 34 where they rebelled. Remember, he says, what we are like. What is God like? He is faithful. What are we like? We're like unfaithful. We are unlike Abraham who is held up as the person of faith. Unlike him, the people do not walk in faith. Remember verse 27 of chapter 9, remember your servants Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Overlook the stubbornness of this people, their wickedness and their sin. It's from Moses' prayer. When they had done this, Moses had to intercede for them and say, don't look at what they're like. Please, God, remember your promises. And God responded by giving them life. In the new tablets, in chapter 10, verses 1 to 5, where Moses, why do they need new tablets? Anyone remember that little story? Moses threw them down, didn't he? Bang. God gave them new tablets. He also, in verse 6 to 9, restored restored Aaron and the Levites. And then in verse 10 and 11, he still said to Moses, lead these people into the promised land. The past is clear. God is righteous and faithful to his promises. What are we like? Well, we're all over the place and then some. Remember, God is righteous. Watch yourselves. Fourthly, he says, love God and obey his ways. From chapter 10, verse 12, through to the end of 11. Love the Lord, your God, and serve him with your whole heart. And Moses calls for a change of heart, and he uses it in the words of this. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Anyone get a stiff-necked? I'm not picking on you. You've got one. It's not picking on you. What what does that term mean, stiff-necked? It means stubbornly refusing to do what you're asked to do. 
Uh, I, I certainly remember my uh, daughter when she was uh, three or four. She turned out to be quite stiff-necked. She liked to not do what you asked her to do. On a much more serious note, Moses is saying, this people, you in front of you, remember, you're not the righteous one. It's God who's righteous. Instead, don't be like how we've always been. Don't be rebellious and stiff-necked. Instead, have your hearts changed. It's a similar message that will come up later in Jeremiah, in chapter 31, the famous chapter, and Ezekiel, also a famous chapter, 36, where God will promise in the new covenant a change of heart. Stephen, in his speech, looks at his killers and he says to them, you stiff-necked people. There's not an accident that he used those words. Your hearts and ears, he said, are still uncircumcised. That's where he gets it from. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Moses is saying stiff-necked, uncircumcised hearts, ones that aren't changed to God, resist whom God is. Moses says you need to circumcise your heart so that you will not rebel. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws and his commands. Chapter 11, verse 1. Remember, because in verse 7 of chapter 11, you have seen with your own eyes. Obey. Verse 8, observe all the commands I'm giving you today. Obey, observe with your whole heart. And if you do, you will enjoy God's love and his blessings. If you don't, you will not enjoy those blessings. Instead, like in the garden, when they rebelled, they had to leave. So in the promised land, if they do not obey and worship their God, they too will be expelled, exiled. There is two ways to live, two ways to go. For us, in God's righteousness is reminded by this passage that it's all about God. God's righteousness was met and kept by the Lord Jesus. We know how this went. It didn't go well. Hence, the prophets will come and speak of how this can't be done and only God will be able to do it and he will do something new. In him, he sent Jesus. In him, we have been given the new covenant. In him, he, Jesus is the maker of the covenant, the place of the covenant, the keeper of the covenant. We're all over the place. Christ is faithful. 
God is faithful to his promises and blesses his faithful follower in Jesus. From the Lord Jesus flows the blessings of the new covenant. It is he who is righteous. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5 reminds us we are not. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. In God's goodness, we have been given Jesus. In him, we have received his spirit. In him, he has circumcised our hearts and made us wholehearted. And though we fall and sin, in Christ we are forgiven. Though we fall, Christ's righteousness and his alone holds us tightly, binds us to the great faithfulness of our God and to the eternity which he has promised. The new covenant that was expected in Jeremiah 31 and 36 has come to us. Stephen in his speech, as he looked at his as he looked at his killers, said, You stiff-necked people, you are like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. To us has come the Spirit. To us has come the changed hearts. To us has come the Spirit that leads us into obedience and faith. We are to be people who are to love God and seek his ways, as Moses called, but to know that it's actually all and only all about our Lord Jesus, our maker, our redeemer, and our friend. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you and worship you that you and you alone, it's grace, it's you alone, grace alone, God alone. You are the God of grace and mercy who has saved us because of your love for us. You have loved us because you have wanted to. You loved us in our person of Jesus and chose us to be your people. We're amazed by that and we cannot really work it out. We can't work out because of whether we were had the right things or said the right stuff or wore the right things or practised the right sort of things put together it's all about you we're thankful that you've changed our hearts continue to change them we pray we're in some ways distressed by the fact that our ways are not always your ways forgive us please help us please direct us please renew us we've been people who have not cared but you have cared for us we're people who have not loved but you have loved us. We're people who have only been really about ourselves, selfish in our ways. And yet, Father, Jesus came and gave his life as a sacrifice for us. Lord, we thank you 
that in Jesus he has made this covenant with you, that he kept the covenant, that he is the place of that covenant. And we thank you that in him we rejoice in his truth and in his love. We ask that you would lead us in obedience this day. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.